I am a commitment to ending intergenerational cycles of violence. And I'm a commitment to living my longing now. And accountability mapping was really born at the intersection of those two commitments. Hello and welcome to the Emergent Strategy Podcast, hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I'll be guiding our interview. I'm Mia, ESI's Mason and healer in residence. <laughs> Emergent strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. Today, I'm really, really excited and thrilled to be interviewing and in conversation with Daria Garina. Daria is a commitment to ending intergenerational cycles of violence. He is also an artist, a medium, and a neurodivergent transgender refugee of Russian and Kazakhstani Chinese descent. At Accountability Mapping, Daria teaches transformative justice skills through the body, helping people align their actions with what really matters to them. The practice came to him in a dream. Welcome, Daria. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Ah, so we're really excited for you to be with us today. Um, and sharing your miraculous and precious time. So I want to first just start off with asking how you are right now. In this moment, I'm excited. I can feel my feet on the ground and my connection to the earth. It's my first time recording a podcast on this scale, so I'm also really curious about getting to be in dialogue and having that dialogue eventually witnessed by Many people, some of whom I'll know, some of whom I won't know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. How are you doing? How am I? Oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. I am excited and nervous. I have at my core a little bit of a quiver that I've been, been with most of the day and just kind of feeling how it's rippling out. <laughs> Uh, sometimes it's rippling in a way that feels that is filled with gratitude and appreciation for like all the different multitudes that exist inside of me. And in other moments, frustration and kind of the bursting feeling. Um, so that's where I've been mm -hmm. in this range and excitement to be in this conversation and real appreciation for the practices that have led you to this moment um, to share your gifts and your dreams with us and that I am the one who gets to be in a deeper conversation and exploration with you about that as someone who is similarly led. <laughs> Thank you. That's really kind. Before we get in, I was hoping that you would be willing to center us in this conversation and to lead us in a practice that will help us actually land together. Thanks. Yeah, I would love that. It'll help me arrive more into my body too. Mm. 
So I want to invite us and anyone who is listening to take a moment just to drop in from our thinking selves a little deeper into our feeling selves. Feeling for the sensations that live in our body from our neck down. Maybe you feel the pressure of the earth below your feet as you're walking or the pressure of the seat below your body as gravity is helping tether you to the ground. And just taking a few breaths, letting us drop to meet that pressure, that invitation to join the earth in connection. And this is a practice that I've adapted from generative somatics that invites us to expand into our full three-dimensional selves. Feeling first into gravity and allowing it to invite our lower body, our legs and feet to release down towards the earth. Imagining the huge field, magnetic field of gravity making connection with us and then at the same time inviting the crown of our head to rise like a balloon floating up into the cosmos towards space. Taking a breath here into our full length between the heavens and the earth, our full human dignity. And the dignity of all people And then expanding from this sense of length, I kind of imagine a sideways scroll, like unraveling into your full width, taking up all of the space that is yours from side to side. And if anything about being alive in the world has made us feel that we need to be small or take on a shape that's not really ours, taking a moment to really unfurl and unfold into our full self, our full size. And feeling in that expansion, our connection to each other, our belonging to this planet, taking a breath into that, and then settling into our depth, feeling for our back, maybe making contact with the back of a chair, or maybe feeling for the clothes on our back. And I like to imagine like a book opening or a rose blooming, getting to take a breath into this backspace and letting it widen. And breathing into that wide expanse, everything that we've moved through on our way to arrive to this moment at our back and all of the people who've supported us into arriving here, everything we've learned, the skills we've built, all of our lineages at our back. And feeling ourselves inside of our bodies in this present moment, calling back any parts of us that might have left during the practice, during the day so far, during the last week inviting them back to have a home in our body. 
and then arriving at the front of us. I like to imagine this huge luminous sun illuminating our faces, our shoulders, its rays falling on our hands, the tops of our feet. And inviting that warmth of the light as an invitation to soften, to feel into and soften the front of our body. And to face and gaze ahead into the future, into the unknown, into everything that's still to come, everything that we will create that will one day be part of our legacy. Taking a few more breaths just to arrive here in this moment in our full length, our full expansive width, and our depth, our lineage in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for leading us and being in practice. I'm compelled to ask how you feel now. <laughs> <laughs> Better. I feel more inside myself, I think. And I can feel more of the aliveness of this moment and just getting to be in connection and taking a risk to share about my work, what I care about, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I feel grateful for the practice. I noticed that the centering around dignity like brought tearfulness to me. Like I felt a little tearful, both gratitude at that assertion, at the truth of this mm -hmm. and the lineage of this practice, but also at how easily one can forget or be tricked out of that. And I felt, yeah, I definitely just feel so much more available to all the parts of me right now. And I appreciate your offer inside of that because, it, yeah, I could feel your presence inside of that practice. So thank you. Well, so... This season, we are trying an experiment on, which is to start uh, with a few questions for each guest, uh, things that we want to know about you that we hope you can share that will help our listeners over time really track the way emergent strategy is moving in the world. That being said, we invited you because we're like, we think you're an amazing emergent strategist, and in particular, <laughs> your use of and connection to and practice of resilience and transformative justice is deeply felt as being shared as alive and well and you're moving that within others as well as yourself clearly uh, so masterfully or so well. And so we want to know if based on these principles or elements um, in your work and in your life, would you also accept the premise that you are an emergent strategist? <laughs> yeah, I would love to accept that premise. I was thinking about that question and in connection to my work. And something that I was reflecting about was this like hope, this vision for 
me inside of the project of accountability mapping of thinking about how these smaller shifts that happen in the every day of our lives inside of our nervous systems and relationships to our bodies on an individual level and then inside of a collective can build towards a greater capacity for transformation. And so there I feel a really deep connection. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) We feel that to be deeply true. And it's helpful to have some guidance and support along the way of how to do that. <laughs> and to or to have company, to have company in the pro in the process of transformation. Mm-hmm. So, I appreciate that this is a part of what you're offering. So we'll get a little bit more into your work in particular right now. But we wanted to first start with you know if you can share some of the most important parts of your political lineage. Absolutely. Lineage is really important to me, um, maybe because I'm a Capricorn, I'm like oriented towards that axis of time. So I would absolutely love to. The very first time that I heard about transformative justice was at the Critical Resistance Conference, um, the one in 2008. It was at Laney um, on Ohlone land. I have lived in the Bay Area for 26 years since I fled here with my family. And there I heard about transformative justice for the first time, about abolition for the first time, and my entire body was just like, yes, yes, this. It was so visceral and so clear. And so that was the beginnings of um, these specific political lines of thought inside me. And along the way, I've really had the opportunity um, and the privilege of getting to learn from some really clear minds and really powerful leaders. I got to first learn about transformative justice more formally through um, Micah Hobbs Fraser and Mia Mingus in a training through Generation 5. Love them. In 2012, I think. And so they really introduced me to this framework of transformative justice that deeply shaped me as a young person and that I carry forward into my work. And inside there, I just wanted to share with folks who are listening who might not be familiar, Generation 5 was an organization that envisioned ending child sexual abuse in five generations. And they stated, you know, their version of the goals of transformative justice as safety, healing, and agency for survivors, people who've experienced harm and violence, accountability and transformation for people who've caused harm and violence, community action, healing, and accountability, and the transformation of the conditions that allow harm and violence to happen in the first place. And that was really deeply, deeply formative for me, and also the understanding that any of us can be in any of these roles, especially over the course of a lifetime. And so that, along with getting to be one of the founding members of the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, which was a project um, initiated by Mia Mingus to build transformative justice responses to child sexual abuse in a community context on Ohlone land. I learned so much from Mia, also about disability justice and 
the hard work of creating a collective and the foundations for it. And I think what's really cool is that project continues on into the present day for about a decade now. And then other influences that I really carry with me, my studies in generative somatics which is also largely based in East Asian cultural practices, amongst many others. And then with that, my own present study of East Asian medicine and Qigong, which is a heritage practice for me. And I think the last thing that I want to say, too, is feeling really moved and inspired by um, the legacy of the Lincoln Detox Center which was founded by um, the Black Panthers and the Young Lords in the Bronx in the 70s through direct action. They took over a hospital that was meant to but was not actually serving their community and created their own clinic where they used East Asian medicine along with political education and many other resources to create a space of healing that really was for the people, by the people. Yeah, and I find that incredibly powerful. I'm a keeper of the so much for sharing. I do too. I mean, their legacy is a big part of why I became an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. And I love I love that inspiration and and yeah, the rich lineage that you come from. I also of course deeply love Mia Mingus <laughs> so much. <laughs> I'm like if there's anyone else to have as a namesake I don't know. I just love it when people maybe by chance they're like, "Oh, Mia." I'm like, mm, "That no." I mean, I <laughs> not that one. I get it. I get it. But yes, uh, she's amazing. Love her. So, Mia, if you're listening, we love you. And also, just the tools that the Bay Area uh, Transcendental Justice Collective have shared. I feel like pod mapping is such a needed tool that you know, as much as possible, share with others. And so I uh, thank you for your service and moving this work in that way. And of course, deep love for gender somatics. We know that we are standing in this tradition much because of the work of GS. So yay, <laughs> thank you for sharing. So we'd love to hear then, what are you practicing and is emergent strategy showing up in your practices? Hmm. What am I practicing? I feel like there's so many things that I want to learn and to embody more deeply. And on, I guess, like a more personal note, what I'm practicing right now is learning to practice extending centered trust, which I know sounds a little bit like GS jargon because it is, but what that means for me is you know, coming from like three generations of people who were displaced due to like authoritarian political regimes, my body is such a catalog of reasons why not to trust 
the government first and foremost, but also like the unpredictability of life. Mm. And that has been shaping that's allowed my people from both sides of my family to survive conditions where, you know, being vulnerable at any time might be something that's used against you. And so in my lifetime, I'm really trying to metabolize that inherited wisdom into an embodiment that allows me to be in my fuller aliveness, which means learning how to trust. And in my body, that feels like when I'm in connection with people, you know, when I say centered, it's like things I've oscillated between in the past are like giving all of my trust to something too fast and being very open or like completely withdrawing trust and completely shutting down. Instead of figuring out how can I, like inside the centering practice we did, really feel into my back and the wisdom of that lineage and really see ahead into the future, into what I want to move towards, into what I want to create for myself and my communities, and feel while still anchored into my backspace, this extension of openness into the future. Like I get to choose and I get to use all of my skills and body wisdom to assess when and where and how I can extend my trust and I can use the lived experiences that I get as a result to continue informing my growing discernment that I don't have to never take a risk in trusting, that I get to practice, I get to experiment and I get to move through the openings that that creates. I mean, that's beautiful. (laughs) So that's clearly, you know, trust the people and they become trustworthy, starting with that self. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm really moved by allowing the wisdom of your ancestors and what's come before to guide the trust, knowing that for a good reason, as you've described, that many of our ancestors would be like, mm, hold up, <laughs> hold the phone for a second. So the ability inside of that wisdom and knowing to also have a, the courage to take a risk and to be vulnerable. Mm, yeah, definitely practicing that in this moment right now. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And I'm... I wonder if it's through your practice or in general, kind of what is emerging for you. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, (laughs) my conscious mind doesn't yet know. Like, I'm not sure. There's this pattern that happens inside me where I feel like sometimes like fully baked ideas are just like born, like they drop into my consciousness from wherever those ideas come from, almost complete. And sometimes I can feel something beginning to emerge, but I don't yet know quite what it is until it's born. And I was thinking about accountability mapping came to me through a vision that I had when I was younger and a dream, but actually when the project kind of crystallized in my mind, I just like woke up at 5 p.m. one morning and was like compelled to like sit down and write. And I ended up writing out the entire description of the project. And I was just like, well, it's early. This doesn't usually happen to me, but I guess right now we need to sit and do this. And then went back to sleep and I woke up and I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really big. Something just kind of like fell through me. 
and out into the world. And so I don't know exactly what's emerging, but I think once it comes, it'll be really clear. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I appreciate that there's just the downloads and you were here for them. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I love it. And then you, you know, you follow. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, so can you tell us a little bit more about this dream and, you know, the genesis of the accountability mapping project and what it is? Yeah, yeah, I do. I am a commitment to ending intergenerational cycles of violence. And I'm a commitment to living my longing now. And accountability mapping was really born at the intersection of those two commitments, really imagining how in this present moment now can we take what we've inherited and bring it into closer alignment with the world that we long to be living in. And yeah, the vision that I try to hold with the folks that I work with inside the project is of taking accountability as something that's life-affirming as something that's generative and as a liberatory everyday practice, really helping people, helping myself transform our relationships to accountability through the body. You know, as a transgender person, I really understand my body and the body as a site of possibility and transformation. And so accumulating somatic practices from generative somatics, from Qigong um, and housing them inside of transformative justice principles to guide our embodied transformation and change into our visions for the world. And yeah, the dream is kind of a personal one. I don't know that I've ever told anyone but my therapist. So here we go. When I had this dream when I was a young adult and in my dream, I was a child and like many children, I was trapped in an abusive relationship with a caregiver. And I think like so many children navigating that impossible choice between safety and connection. And in that dream and in that time in my life and sometimes still, I couldn't see a way out. And the way that that manifested into a visual in my dream was I'm standing there with my caregiver who's holding on to my hand, but like forcefully, not quite as kind as holding hands. And I feel like I can't leave. And we are these like silhouettes in red inside of this like vast white plane of emptiness. Like we're completely alone. And she won't let me go, and I have nowhere to go anyway. And all of this really intense pain and trauma from her lineage is flowing through her caption into my body. And I don't know how to get out, and I feel trapped. And then in the dream, one by one, people begin to appear. Silhouettes of people of all ages, so many people around us, in between us, next to us, like shoulder to shoulder, just this ocean of people. We're completely surrounded and they are people who are with us. They're standing with us. They're watching both of us and they won't let her hurt me. And they won't let any harm come to me. And they're there with the both of us. And I woke up and I was like, oh, 
that's it. That's the answer. That's the way out. This connection and holding collectively with support for people who are in real time creating harm, people who are in real time experiencing harm and violence like that, that ability to hold and support and prevent and heal, that is the way out of this impossibility. And as an adult, I hope that, you know, generative generation five (laughs) asks this question around like, how do we build our personal, but also our collective capacity to support accountability in a transformative way? And that dream was the embodied vision and answer that I have inside me to that question. And accountability mapping is my best attempt to gather together with others and turn that into a material reality for us. Thank you for sharing the tenderness of your dream and vision and for gathering us in this way. And Adrian likes to say that, you know, essentially when isolation is the problem, community is always the answer. Mm, Yeah. And I love that in your vision and your body, that was what you knew. And what came to you, that even when it feels void, even when it feels like a void, that actually the people will show through the calling and the need. Well, so I I am wondering a little bit about, you know, what then the project has felt like to you. you. You said your best attempt to create that community. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering a little bit about if you can share more of like how people engage the project and how you feel the project moving in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it feels amazing. I feel like I have the best job in the world, which is <laughs> every day. <laughs> it's true. Every day I get to work pe- work with people who really want to show up and be better want to transform into a deeper embodiment of their highest selves, who want to take, you know, what they've inherited, what in some ways we've all inherited collectively, and really transform that into a shared vision um, of justice, of safety, of connection. And so for me, I have the pleasure of working with folks one-on-one as a somatic coach. And really focusing on their specific accountability goals and gathering a curriculum of somatic education, of practices, of qigong to really help them drop into their bodies and really begin to slowly, while building trust, inhabit oneself deeper and become more acquainted with the sensations 
that is, you know, that are the interface between ourselves and the world and all of the information that comes up through the body and from a more deeply rooted space begin to look at what are some of the patterns or instances of harm that folks are wanting to shift away from, that folks don't want to take forward into the future anymore, and really beginning to look at what were the fundamental needs, you know, usually around safety, around connection, belonging, dignity, that those patterns were really trying to meet. And did they succeed and at what cost and to whom? And what are ways we can build new skills, new strategies into our embodiment to meet those fundamental and important needs in a different way, to take the pressure off of some of these learned patterns so that they don't come forward with us. Yeah, and we can find ways to be with ourselves and with others without causing harm as much as is realistically possible in the world. And this reminds me of I had the opportunity and the privilege of studying um, a little bit of mediumship with Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest, who is a Black and Indigenous medium, spirit teacher on Instagram, I believe, highly recommend. And I also had the opportunity to get a kind of like life path reading from her. We know when I was starting with this project, I was like, I don't know, can I do this? Am I mature enough finally? Because I've wanted to since I was an adolescent. But like, am I ready? Can I do this? And I got this reading where she channeled for me that, you know, whatever guides set me up in this lifetime set a task for me of learning how to be the most free that I can be without impeding on the freedom of others. And I was like, wow. If that is not transformative justice and completely different words coming from the sky, then I don't know what is. And I think that encouragement allowed me to take a risk and start this practice. Mm-hmm. And listen, when they set you up and when it's clear like that, you can't, you know, <laughs> you cannot turn back. <laughs> I know. It was so clear. I was like hesitating, but I kept going to this mediumship class. And so they have this practice with each other. And you sit there with a person and they're your practice buddy. And then they ask, like, does anybody want to come talk to Daria right now? And then these people, these, I don't know, entities and guides would keep showing up and saying things like, the way that you're going, keep going. That's exactly the mm-hmm. right way. Or like my recently deceased grandfather showed up being like, you need to be bold, which is something he always told me growing up. And I was like, all right, everyone is just saying I need to do it. So I'm going to do it now. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you <laughs> for doing it. And also, I love this, you know, the most free without impeding on the freedom of others. That is so compelling. I know. It's like, damn, okay. Right? <laughs> I'm like, woo. I mean, that's right. That is That is the project that we are here for. And, you know that we <clears throat> hope many <laughs> can get with, um, you know, can can we be free? And uh, can your freedom not impede our minds? Absolutely. Mm. My comrades want me to ask you, and it feels very connected 
as you know, so then what does accountability, accountability feel like in the, in your body, you know, both being accountable and having someone take accountability for their impact? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I wish I had some sort of really clean and smart answer to this question, but I don't think that there is a single one, you know? Sure. Because there's no one way that any of us are going to feel each of us and each situation is so vastly different. And each of our nervous systems um, in the landscape of what our bodies have lived through and the histories that we carry and the ways that we're impacted by present conditions things are going to register completely different. But what I hope, and then also what I believe is happening, is that collectively, um, all of our nervous systems are, you know, living inside of this punitive and carceral system that teaches our nervous systems to perceive accountability, apology, and amends as threats to our survival. Because prison industrial complex for many people that is the literal truth right and so we are absorbing all of this into our perceptions of the world consciously and not even if we don't maybe believe that that is what our bodies are being taught and have been taught since a young age and so while it looks really different for everyone I think What happens often is as soon as the topic of, you know, making an apology, making amends, taking accountability, as soon as it comes up, our nervous systems are kicked into our fight, flight, freeze, appease, dissociate, and collapse shaping, like the really wise ways our bodies have learned to survive our life until now, that comes online, but when that is online, we are also losing access to that curiosity, the openness, the creativity, and the resiliency that is necessary to figure out how can we receive feedback, how can we integrate this new information, and how can we use that to change ourselves and to take different action. And so, so much of um, what I work with for myself and with the folks that I practice with is figuring out like, okay, given that that is the landscape of our conditions, how are we going to practice first with each other now, but eventually in our everyday lives, whatever we need to do, um, whatever we already do, whatever our ancestors already did to help us return to our bodies so we can respond, like come and meet these crossroads these opportunities from our full and highest selves and I think something that really holds me through this around the innate and ancient wisdom of our bodies is as someone who is multiracial with Chinese heritage I learned that Qigong, which is a series of practices that circulate our qi, that circulate our energy in the body into harmony with the energies around us, in a very brief summary, (laughs) there's a lot more to it than that, but they're actually the choreographies of the dances and the movements of the Wu, who are ancient Chinese shamans. And so for like thousands of years, people all over the place, including in 
you know, ancient China would gather and dance and shake their bodies in order to get back inside them, in order to get back into the collective body and harmonize their nervous systems with the nervous systems of the heavens and the earth of the cosmos and everything that lives on this planet. And as someone who is learning, like studying dance and like creative physical movement, it's cool to think like, wow, these movements are the choreographies. There are these choreographies that have been being danced for like, what, like, I don't know, 6,000 years. Yeah, so that is my long answer to not exactly that question, <laughs> but that is what I can share. Thank you. I, I felt in there a few threads, but one, what does it mean to get back in your body when accountability is needed or required, right? Like it does sometimes require movement, not only movement in the body. And then that movement in the body may enable or facilitate movement through conversation or other ways, right? That like holding and breathing and connecting with the elements may Mm -hmm. actually be the resilient force inside of our ability then to move towards making things right or in towards getting what we need. <laughs> in a relationship, and then also not letting it just stagnate, sit and fester, right? When there has been harm done. So I really, mm-hmm. really feeling that, and I love that it's so ancient, right? So it means to me that then there's so many pathways in to that space of embodiment and accountability if we're willing to go there and we can lean on the structure that's been given to us by others, or we can create a new, but it is something that's available to us just if we, you know, lean into a structure of practice or listen to ourselves in deep ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that belief is a really deep source of resiliency for me. Like, I don't know if it's always true or totally holds water, but inside myself, just, I think maybe as a person who is like diasporic and in three generations of diaspora, not having grown up with community, like cultural linguistic community, not growing up on my homelands, just the idea that what we need would already be with us, not to minimize the vast loss and pain and grief that comes from being disconnected from one's peoples and cultures and lands that's huge but in addition to that that we would still be able to carry that wisdom in our bodies and find a way into it individually and collectively still Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we hold multitudes right so it can be both that grief and that loss as well as the connection to what was and then how it manifests currently. Absolutely. I think it has to be both. That's the truth. Mm. Something else you said inside of what it feels like in the body, you know, brings me to this question about how do we move through either guilt or shame that may get in the way of us being accountable? Mm. I am both so glad you asked me this question and so nervous to answer it because some part of me and maybe it's my like guilt or shame is like okay Daria like you got to give a really profound and 
fully well-rounded answer to this really complex and painful question for myself and for so many of us. And so that's part of my answer. And the other part of my answer is, let me sit with it for a second. Well, as you sit, can I say something? And then I'll let you sit, which Mm -hmm. is that I'm asking this because this is the hardest for me. And I think it's like, you know, hard for so many, right? This like, it's hard for nations. It's hard for, you know, governments to just say, yo, we, we are bad. We really messed up here to take accountability for something that is clearly violation. But then also when it's small things, like it can be, and you started to, you talked about this in terms of the carceral system and this like punitive nature that exists in our societies, but it's it can be pretty deep mm-hmm. how much either guilt or in particular shame for me stands in the way of doing what I know is the move towards someone else, right? And often when I can get past whatever that, what feels like insurmountable, so much is freed and so much is possible, but oftentimes it feels insurmountable. And so I ask it, Really, because, you know, I'm always trying to learn it (laughs) and practice it. But also, you know, I think about how if we look politically or we look at it in Mm -hmm. the world, there are very few examples of centered accountability because I think, and, you know, this is a compassionate response, but I think not only is an issue of power, but I do think shame and guilt may often get in the way. So much so. Thank you for that. It helps me land into, there's like the things that I feel like I should say because they're important. And then there's something that feels really alive in me in this moment. Maybe because as I've been doing this work, you know, it's all iterative and I'm learning all the time. I have so much to learn constantly too from my own mistakes. But something I've been realizing as I've been working through my own guilt and shame is how much guilt and shame are a structure of control that when we are, when people who have power over us, guilt or shame us, Mm. or create the conditions where guilt and shame thrive, our bodies often, I mean, it's different for everyone, but largely they become smaller, they withdraw, they want to hide and not be seen to protect oneself. And then realizing in my own life, like what is not possible to do from that shape that shame induces? And that is really being your power, whether that's the power to speak your truth because the shame being put on you is not yours, or that's the power and or that's the power to stand in your power and own your Mm -hmm. own actions and be like, yes, I did that. And no, that's not how I want to be. And I'm sorry. Like both of those actions are deeply powerful. But when we are shamed and guilted by culture, by the world, that power, it's an attempt to really take that power away from us. Yeah. And for me, and I think maybe for others, coming out of shame is so much about reclaiming the power, the power to take accountability, the power to make something right, and also the power to insist that something that impacted you be made right. And I want to also share this visual because you know lineage I first learned about working with shame through generative somatics and I remember being a young person like 10 years ago 
12 years ago. I was like 21. And the image that they gave me was of this person sitting alone in a boat on this vast ocean of shame. That shame would isolate you and make it feel like you are traversing this huge plane of water that is impassable. It's actually not possible to move through it alone. And that the practices around healing shame are based in allowing somebody that you trust, somebody that you trust to be there with you, to just be there with you. To really first reveal and invite some form of connection, to begin to add light into this environment of darkness and isolation that lets shame fester. And that letting somebody hop into that boat with you and just be with you on that sea. And the way that I'm thinking about this is like we carry so much shame in our bodies and we accumulate this shame from different sources. And not all of the shame that we carry is even ours to carry. You know, shame in the sense of it's like the feeling that not only did we do something that is bad or wrong, but actually now as a result, we are bad. We are wrong. We are broken or like tainted in some way. And sometimes we accumulate that shame because we caused somebody harm. We feel ashamed for the actions that we took that we were responsible for. And that is our shame. Or we feel shame for privilege and inaction around utilizing that privilege towards justice and so that kind of shame that shame is ours and we can begin to resolve that shame by inviting somebody to be there with us to hold it with us to feel through some of the intense feelings that fuel that shame so that we can begin to metabolize it and step back into our power and take action to make amends, to really address harms, to change patterns, to create a different future. So there's that, but also all up in there is a lot of shame that's not ours, that people sometimes hand it to us, whether it like, you know, I think about like queerness, like I feel internalized shame around being queer or trans sometimes and I know that's not mine and I know I got it from my parents and I know my parents got it from a church and I know that that church was also operating hand in hand with the state and that is where that came from and that my peoples both like Russian and Kazakhstani Chinese like did not innately enter this world with that shame that these are structural forms of control and oppression that are handed down from states through institutions and then reappear inside of our intimate networks and then in our own bodies and selves. And so like with that shame, you know, and then the shame that we sometimes carry when people actually have caused us harm, but didn't take accountability, we're left there with the harm and the consequences and holding their shame as they just walk away that that kind of shame we don't need to carry, it's not ours, and finding ways to really return that shame back to where it came from, back to the people who actually can transmute it, who can resolve it because it's not ours to resolve. And that oftentimes there isn't an opportunity to do that in our lives directly, but really figuring out ways to do that energetically and metaphysically, like, So just in case this sounds like I'm like, go track down somebody and 
give your shame back by shaming them is totally not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is figuring out like, okay, can I take an inventory of the shame in my body, figure out which of it really wasn't my fault and then figure out who it came from. And then through ritual, through art, um, with a trusted person, like a therapist, through imagery, through nature, really set it down. Either send it energetically back to the person or institution it came from, bury it in the earth, like burn it up into the sky, really allow it to find, allow that energy to exit you and find its home wherever it needs to live outside of your body, wherever it can begin to integrate into um you know, the like cycles of chi all around us basically. And and sometimes, and I really hope this is true for all of us, we'll also have the opportunity to have a centered conversation where we're able to tell honestly in a safe and supportive environment, folks whose shame we were left with, that we that the consequences of their actions involved us being left with this shame and give it back to them in that way. And those the conditions, I think this is like slightly changing the topic, but I think this work around shame is so important to create the conditions where abolition, like prison abolition is possible. If we had the capacities to really step in all of our collective power and hold and receive and transmute shame, I think it would really create the conditions where we're able to both envision and replace those carceral and punitive institutions. So those are some of my many thoughts about shame. And I think, let me think if there's anything else that feels really important to say. I think that sometimes I also want to say that when we feel shame, it leads us into two polar opposites around like under accountability and over accountability to like put it very briefly you know i did something wrong it caused somebody harm and i know that intuitively maybe they didn't even have to tell me i just know or maybe they told me directly and now i know i might oscillate between like feeling so much shame that i just like turn away and i'm like not my problem that wasn't me that was all you but also what can happen is feeling so overwhelmed by the shame that we actually oscillate in the other direction and overextend, being like, that was all me, it's only me, and begin to, rather than taking accountability for our part and meeting the requests of the person who asked us for amends and repair directly, just starting to do a bunch of other stuff all around the core of what needs to be done, but never touching down into that core. I know nothing about that. I know nothing about that. <laughs> and it was such a lifetime practice to be like, oh, I don't have to go and do all these things for other people. I actually only have to do what is my part, right? And it's often that what is my part piece that's obscured by shame because, because oftentimes underneath it, you know, our shame by kind of letting us encouraging us to isolate and to turn away and to not really look at the thing is also in its own way um, our body wisely trying to protect us from the very difficult feelings um, beneath shame 
sometimes feelings of deep fear, of deep fear of losing connection and belonging, maybe losing one's life, like freedom, or deep pain of maybe realizing that you've caused somebody harm in this way that you've been harmed many times and the realization that comes with that and all of the pain of the harm you've experienced that is still waiting for an oppor- a supportive opportunity to be integrated. So those are many, many thoughts. I have many other thoughts about shame. Mm. I so appreciate those many thoughts. And this is deep. You know, this is, it feels deep for me. Maybe it's just active and alive, but um, I think it's not just for me. Um, I've seen whole countries and cultures be really impacted by the in- inability to move through this piece. And so, yeah, I appreciate those reflections. And I and may it be so, may, may we touch into it in such a way that we actually can have abolition and the most freedom for all, all beings. Mm. But we want to... End by knowing, one, what's the most resonant question within you right now? And, of course, where can people find out more about you and your work? Hmm. I'll start with the easier question, which is, um, so if people want to connect or find more of my work, um, there's two good places. The first one is on Instagram at accountability mapping. That account uh, has a lot of posts with a lot of thoughts and ideas and somatic tools and links to resources. So I kind of envision that account as like kind of a archive of resources. And then my website, accountabilitymapping.com. So I usually work with folks one-on-one and Right now, and probably when this podcast airs, my practice will be full, but kind of for seeing that, I also created a course around centered accountability that has a lot of these theories and ideas and resources and Qigong practices to really get folks started on answering exactly that question for them personally and their own bodies and our own bodies what does centered accountability look like and how can we aim for that way of living inside of ourselves and how can we know that place and take action from that place action that aligns with what deeply matters to us and then the question that is most resonant for me i'm really wondering for myself like how can i i mean this is gonna sound so so compact while the question is so complex um how can i live more in my body like how can i feel more deeply so that i can feel more of the aliveness of life and what do i do with all of the pain and grief that is stored inside me from times when i couldn't feel was too young to feel through the complexity of what i've survived how do i do that so that i can you know, feel that part of life, but also be able to feel more aliveness, more joy, more in my power, more in my freedom, and more in connection with others. This podcast is produced by Natalie Peart. 
Music for the Emergent Strategy Podcast is provided by Hooray for the Riffraff and their album, Life on Earth. To support the ongoing work of the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute, please make a donation at alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.